Amen. Buenos dias, church. Como estamos? Si no tienes traducción, yo creo que necesitas traducción. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you want me to do this in English? You know, I tell people all the time, make sure you're paying attention in your Spanish class. Because I heard that in heaven, Spanish is the official language. So and if you don't want to wear a headset translation for eternity, it is amazing, fantastic, wonderful to be here with you this morning. Uh, Michelle and I were really excited about getting this time with you. Uh, it's been an incredible time. I'm so grateful uh, for the Webbers and for Steve Staten inviting us to come and meet you all and pray about the possibility of us working together. And uh, um, we're really excited, to, you know, we're, we're asking God for direction, I know, as you have been. But I want to tell you something, just as somebody kind of parachuting in and looking at you guys and getting to know you, and, and I, I just want to tell you guys, I, we are so inspired by you. We're, we're so encouraged by your faith, your love, your convictions, and especially knowing that you've been through a set of challenges in the past, and yet we see your love and faith just glowing. And, and we're so encouraged by you, so thank you. And I know you can't clap for yourself, so clap for the person next to you. Cheer them on. Uh, it really has been a, uh, just a very encouraging, the time that we've gotten with so many of you over these last couple of weekends. And um, um, I will tell you a little bit about ourselves Normally, we don't do that. We don't talk a lot about ourselves, and I don't share a lot about our kids because they've asked me not to in the past, but, but I will this time just a little bit because I know we're all getting to know each other, and you're checking us out, and we're checking you out, and, and we're, we're, we're all loving it. You know, a lot of love here, uh, but this is the Carrillos. I give you greetings from the Carrillo family. That's our crew, our, uh, way over on the left. That's our, our three kids, uh, Andrew, Elena, Andrew, and Alexis. And uh, Andrew and Elena are, uh, Elena's our oldest, she's 29, Andrew's, Alexis is 28. She, her and her husband are actually in Texas in the ministry, leading the Texas A&M campus ministry. And then uh, Andrew lives right down the street from us over in San Diego. Uh, we are a classic in many, oh, and then of course our dogs, we've got our dogs in there. Uh, we have three dogs and our daughter actually lives with us right now. She has two. So we have a whole pack at our house right now. Five dogs. That's all of them right there in the middle. Um, and uh, we, we are a crazy family, but, you know, we love it. Uh, we love being our family. So this was Michelle and I dating in uh, San Diego back in the day, uh, the day a long time ago. Yes, that's me. No, you know. <laughs> Time can be cruel sometimes. God always keeps us humble. Um, and, 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 but, you know, God is good. Look at my wife. She looks the same. She's, um, that's us on our wedding day in Mexico City. Us getting sent off to Mexico City where we got married. Um, that's with us getting sent off to Miami where we had our first two daughters. Uh, we led the ministry there. That's us in New Jersey, actually. Uh, on a hope project, you guys remember that the old times remember the immunization stuff we used to do. We were walking around Patterson, New Jersey, one of the toughest cities in America. I mean, people from the Bronx are scared to go to Patterson. I mean, it's just uh, one of the toughest 
and coolest cities. This was us down in central Jersey, uh, really getting ready to move. This was right before we moved back. And uh, we moved back to San Diego. This is our kids graduating, growing up, everybody getting older. And this was a recent family picture at one of our daughter's weddings. And uh, the, the whole Carrillo crew there. So God has been really good. And this is Michelle and I out cruising around on, on Sunday morning. And no, that's not my car. I wish it was my car. It's my nephew's car. We just get to take pictures in it. Uh, but that, that gives you a little clue of my past. So, you know, it's an amazing world we live in. Uh, for us, it's been quite an adventure. God has shown us a lot of the world, of what's happening out there. Um, working with Hope Worldwide, God has given us a really incredible inside view of our world. A view of our world that most people don't get. God has sent me to the poorest and the most suffering neighborhoods all over the world, in Latin America, in Asia, in Africa, in the Middle East, even in Europe, and especially here in the United States. And we've seen parts of the world that I never would have imagined. And you know, I, and it wasn't like I grew up in a bubble or anything, and I'll share a little bit of my own testimony. You know, I grew up, I was actually born in Juarez, Mexico. Uh, grew up uh, mostly all over California. My family moved on average about every four to six months. By the time I got to high school, it, high school is my 18th school. Just to give you an idea of how much I moved, uh, my family was very poor. Poor U.S. standards, not poor global standards. Generally, we had food. Generally, we had shelter, although there were times we didn't have a house and I remember living in a car in a parking lot when I was a kid. And uh, life was ups and downs. I had some great blessings growing up. I had a lot of tough things. You know, moving to all these different cities as a kid, you know, if you've ever grew up in a rough neighborhood, and usually we moved into rough neighborhoods, uh, you know, when you grow up in a rough neighborhood, you, you, you always form a, your, your little gang, your friends, right? And you have to for protection. And your friends protect you, you protect them, and you protect each other from the other neighborhoods, right? But because we moved so much, I didn't grow up with any groups. So I oftentimes got beat up as a little kid. I got beat up by lots of different groups. And we mostly bounced between San Diego and Sacramento. So when I'd go down south, I was the kid from Northern California. And I'd get beat up for that. And I go up north, I was the kid from Southern California, and I'd get beat up for that. I've gotten beat up by all kinds of gangs, white gangs, brown gangs, black gangs, never by any Asians, but it's never too late. Could still happen, you know. But where I lived, there weren't any Asian gangs, so I never got beat up by any of them. But, but um, the... You know, I grew up, in, and I, got, I, I unfortunately, as you can imagine, by the time I was in high school, I had a lot of anger in my heart. Something happened when I was about 12 is I grew a lot. I actually grew to the height that I am now. And I was strong, and I turned the tables. I began beating up people. I began going after people. And I began, with all the anger in my heart, getting myself in a lot of trouble. 
Uh, because I never stayed in one city, I didn't actually join a gang, but I, worked, I was with gangs a lot. And I got into the whole lowrider scene. I, I was the guy in high school that everybody was afraid of. I carried weapons. I was full of anger. I sold drugs. I, I did a lot of bad things that nobody should ever do. But that was my life. That's where I was at. And I had a lot of anger inside me. I'd seen a lot of people in my family die. I'd seen too many deaths. I've seen murders. Ultimately, I would end up having to bury my mom, who would commit suicide, and my dad, because she killed him. She shot him. And so I was no stranger to tragedy. I was no stranger to the harshness. I remember when the brothers from church sat down, they told me they were going to study out about the darkness of the world. And I remember thinking, you don't know what the darkness of the world is. I know what the darkness of the world is. I'll tell you how bad this world is. I'll tell you how messed up it is. When you bury everybody you love, when you've seen so much hatred and anger carried out in such violent acts. But even at my worst, when I was out carrying weapons, doing drugs, selling drugs, doing stuff. I never wanted to be a bad guy. You know, when I saw Star Wars, I wanted to be a Jedi, not a Sith, you know? I wanted to be somebody who did something good in life. But I got to college and that was itself a miracle. I never once filled out a college application and yet I got a package from the University of San Diego accepting me and giving me a full ride there. And for, I, the only thing I could think of is one of my teachers filled out all the forms and signed my name to everything. <laughs> and I think I know who it was because I had one teacher who always was pushing me forward. And he challenged me to get straight A's my junior year, and I did. And it really wasn't hard. All I had to do was focus on myself, and, and I could do it. And I did it. And so I went off to college at the University of San Diego, and with all the anger in my heart, with all the I remember I had a lowrider, I was driving up the campus, and they had these huge speed bumps. And I thought, they put these here to keep my people out of, out of college, you know, because I, I couldn't get over the speed bumps. So I had to go sideways and block the whole road just to get onto the campus. And of course, I pull in, and if you, probably most of you don't know the University of San Diego, but University of San Diego, is, it's a private, wealthy school. So I pull in in my 69 Pontiac Grand Prix lowrider, parking next to BMWs and Mercedes and, and all kinds of cars that I'd never even seen before. And that was my introduction. But, but because of everything going on in my heart, I gravitated into the political world because I was angry and I wanted to change the world and I wanted to do something to, that makes a difference. So I got involved in the community. I started working with kids in gangs, and I was working with orphanages across the border, trying to change the world. I was going to mass three times a week. And if you know anything about being Catholic, that is radical. Because most Catholics go three times a year. I was going to mass on Sunday night. I was going to mass on Wednesday night. I was going to the student Bible talks. But I was finding nothing. And it was very social and there was nothing spiritual. And that group didn't want anything to do with the people that I was running around with. And, and, and it just, none of it made sense. And I was getting frustrated, even with the whole political world trying to help the community make a difference. 
And seeing people backstabbing each other and lying about each other and competing with each other and, and, and just getting really discouraged. I had actually signed up to leave the country, go to another country and serve as a volunteer working with gorillas in the jungles, not the animal gorillas, the other kind of gorillas. Two months before I was supposed to take off, I was doing a lowrider car show on the campus, and I wanted this guy to speak, which most people at University of San Diego never even heard of a lowrider. They didn't know what that was. And I just told him, you just got to move out the speed bumps. We'll be fine. But I was about to, I was trying to find a speaker, and then I found out some guy in my class, his dad was the, the guy I was trying to get, and long story short, I found him. I said, hey, I want your dad to speak at my event, my rally on campus. And he said, okay, I'll talk to my dad if you go to my Bible talk. I was like, oh man, <laughs> I've, I've been there, I've, been, I've tried that already. And it didn't work, nothing changed. And he said, just come to my Bible talk. And so the following Thursday night, of course I didn't go. And then he saw me in class Friday, and he said, I thought you were going. Oh, yeah, 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 I'll be there. I promise I'll be there. The following week, Thursday night, I didn't go. Friday morning, hey, what happened? You said you were going to be there. I didn't go. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got busy. And then the following week, I didn't go. (laughs) And he came up to me, and he said, you know, I think you should be a man of your word. Oh, man, I wanted to take him out right there. I was like, What? You're challenging me, you little coconut. You don't even know anything, you know? I was like prideful. I said, I said I'll be there, I'll be there. So I went. It was the parable of the sower. I was so convicted. And I knew I was going to hell. And I knew that all the little good things I was doing wasn't going to earn my salvation. And I turned myself in. They took me to church. And they told me, he told me, I'll pick you up at dorm at 930, you know, whatever time it was. He's going to pick me up. He picks me up. I get in the car. And I said, okay, now where's church? He goes, it's in Poway. And I was like, Poway? This is a little town way outside of San Diego. I said, they're not going to like want me to do their yard work or something out there, right? I mean, this is, this is church, right? He's like, yeah. I'm like, why are we going there? We're going to pass up 50 churches. We're going to just... Go to close, you know, they got Our Lady of the Virgen de whatever street is right down here. Why can't we just go there? And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, these are totally committed Christians. They're radical. You know, you like radical. They're radical. And I was like, okay, all right. And so right as we're pulling, right before we pull the church, he goes, oh, by the way, there's picketers out front. And I was like, whoa, they really are radical. This is, this is radical. The sermon was handpicked by God for me. The sermon was the radical Jesus. I heard that sermon and that was it. I said, I'm in. I studied the Bible 10 days, got baptized, and have never looked back since. God was working to pull me in. To help me become part of the solution to the problems we have in our world. 
And we got a lot of problems in our world. We've got a lot of issues. And I don't know if you've noticed, but it's not getting better. They're not fixing themselves. We have 7.5 billion people out there. And the numbers climbing. I mean, even since I put this presentation together, I've had to change the numbers. And when I talk about the world, I, I remember when I first started doing presentations about the world and what's happening out there, it was 6.3 was the first one. And it's been climbing, climbing, climbing in just in the last few years. The Bible says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. We don't, you know, this was one of those scriptures, you know, I had the blessing of, of I got to go to Pepperdine and get my master's in divinity and learn to read Greek, you learn to read Hebrew, you learn to read the scriptures, you learn to dig deep. But as deep as I could dig, I never could exactly understand what exactly does he mean by this? What I do know is that everything is connected and that what happens in the spiritual world absolutely affects the physical world. What's happening to you spiritually will affect every part of your life. You can't separate them. You can't say I'm doing terrible spiritually, but life's awesome. It doesn't work that way. You can pretend, and there's a lot of people pretending, but sooner or later, they're sitting in their room by themselves getting real. And then reaching for a pipe or a bottle or something to escape. Because they can't deal with reality. Why? Because reality is intense. And we need help dealing with this world. The help that God gives us. And so the whole world, it says, the Bible, is struggling with what's happening out there. And as I've traveled all over this world, especially the last four years, Michelle and I have been to all over. We counted it up a year and a half into Hope Worldwide. We've been to 68 cities. I have enough frequent flyer miles to go to the moon for free if I wanted to. <laughs> because of all the travels that God has shown us just to show us this world and what's happening out there. And the thing that I learned about this world First of all, is that God loves everybody. Everybody. It doesn't matter their color, their language, their culture, not even their religion. He loves all of them. And of course he wants them all to know him. And that's why he sent Jesus. Because he cares about them all. Just like I love my three kids. There isn't anything I wouldn't do for my kids. I would take a bullet for them. I would lay down my life for them. And Jesus said, if you who are evil know how to take care of your kids, how much more does God care about his children? And I see these kids all over the world and what they're facing. And I think about, you know, in reality, God knew every single one of us the day you were born. When you were swaddled in whatever hospital, wherever, whatever country or city that you were born in, God knew you that day. And I think God sees us 
like children. I think this is what we look like to him. In all our beautiful varieties of colors and languages. And I find we all have certain things in common. One of those is we all eat rice. No matter where you're from, we all eat rice. We just cook it very different. Isn't that amazing? Mexican rice, Asian rice, European rice, African rice. It's, it's all rice, but it, it's wonderful. It's just a different, you can have a different kind of rice every night for a month. We're different, but we're the same. Same hearts, same dreams. I was sitting there talking to a 14-year-old little girl living in a hut by herself in Cambodia. Her family had kicked her out because she has AIDS. And she's trying to survive. And she had no electricity. And one of the brothers I was at with asked her, he said, what do you, what do you need to, to get electricity? And she said, they're, they're going to charge me $20 to cook up my house. I, I can't afford that. And he just pulled out a wad of money and gave her the $20. And it changed her life. And children suffer all over the world. And God is watching. 70.8 million refugees out there. And I've been to camps all over Europe, camps all over the Middle East. And they're just people. I sat down with a group of guys living under a bridge in Italy. And I asked them, what do you, what do you guys do back home? One guy was an architect. One guy was a store owner. One guy was an engineer. One guy was a high school teacher. And they've been living under a bridge for over a year just trying to survive and trying to collect a little money to send back home. Not because they did something bad, but because war destroyed their home. Because somebody's pride destroyed their city. Somebody's greed took everything they had from them. And I saw the crowds, 30 million children, and God is watching. 158 million children worldwide experience stunted growth from poverty. That means that their brains don't develop right because they have no books, they have no toys, they have nobody at home. They have, you know, 10-year-old raising the 8, 7, and 5-year-old. They have no, nothing to stimulate their brain. So if by chance they get to school, their brains are so underdeveloped, they'll never keep up with the other kids. And they'll drop out and be condemned to poverty the rest of their life. And many of them will turn to crime just to make it. Because they have no choice. The rise of terrorism, drug trafficking, human trafficking. The rise in children human trafficking that was 10% now is over 30% of the human trafficking are children. And you know the capital of that, one of the capital centers of that is right down the road, San Diego and Tijuana. People fly from all over the world to San Diego to cross the border and pay 20 bucks for a kid. To buy one. The plight of women around the world. One in every three women in the world will suffer physical abuse. 
the way that addiction has torn apart our families and destroyed so many lives all over the world. And we're not talking about some ghetto or township in Africa or in Asia. We're talking right here, right? How many of us struggle with these things? Racism, out of control. My kids going through things that I never thought they would have to go through. Things being said to my kids that I thought was done and over in history. It's back up again. Things being said and done and, and, and people being divided and polarized because of race, because of language. And there's so much fear and hurt and anger and anxiety out there right now. This is our world. Where we regularly are hearing shootings, nothing is sacred. People are going into churches and shooting people praying because they're black or because they're Jews or because they're, they're Asian or they're different. Nothing is sacred. It's regularly happening. Somebody goes to a school and shoots children. And at some point, somebody's got to say, what is wrong with our world? That nobody is safe. And God is watching. And God sees this. And people are angry. They're marching because they're angry. Because they know it has to change. They don't know what to do. It's not, gonna, it's not a political person or a political party or a political solution. It's a human problem. And they're out there saying, this got to stop. This isn't right. And meanwhile, at the same time all of this is happening, churches are in rapid decline. Every Sunday, 700 churches in America close their doors. And people are not making the connection that we're taking God out of everything. People are not going to church. Nobody's reading the Bible. And at the same time, everything's going out of control. A coincidence? No. A direct connection. And Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. That's the solution. He's the answer. It's not some charismatic leader it's not some new political system or philosophy or a new religion or a new doctrine. We already have the leader. His name is Jesus. We already have the solution. It's Christianity. But in its real sense, not in its religious sense. It's not about playing church. It's about following Jesus. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. That word is pistis is, is, is faith. It's the same word as faith. You have faith in God, have faith in Jesus. And let me tell you something. The word faith, the word, the word in Greek, or even more so the word in Hebrew, means a lot more than believing in something. It means trusting in it. It means obeying. It means putting your hope in it. It means relying on it. It means putting everything you got into something. That's 
what he's talking about. Real faith. Where you seek him first, he says, you have faith in God, believe, or have faith also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place I am going. You know, he says, look, while you're here, you're going to be challenged and there's going to be tough things. So while you're here, put your faith in God, put your faith in him, Jesus. He says, but also I want you to know, I'm going to go prepare a room for you. Where? Heaven. And I'm going to come back and get you. You. I'm coming back for you. He picked you. And I'm going to take you to be with me in heaven. Now, I don't know what that room, yeah, you can applaud, that's an awesome thought. You know, when you were a kid, and those of us that weren't athletically inclined, and they start picking teams, and the worst thing was to be the last kid picked, right? Or maybe even worse than that was the kid nobody picked, and somebody just had to take you, right? I think some of us are afraid that's what's going to happen on, on Judgment Day. No, Jesus is saying, look, I pick you. On my team. The truth is that whole thing is wedding language. Because if a young man wanted to marry a young woman, he would go to her house, her family's house. He would offer her a cup. And he would say, I commit myself to you to come back and marry you. If she takes the cup and drinks the cup, she's accepting his proposal. And then he tells her. I am going back to my house to build a room for you because that's usually what you do. You'd add on a room. And when it's finished, I'll come back and take you to be with me. And so when the apostles were hearing this, they knew exactly what Jesus was doing. It was wedding language. They knew he was saying, I promise to love you in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad times. They knew he was proposing something to them, a relationship of eternity with them. And he said, I'll come back for you. Now Thomas, classic Thomas, right? Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how do we know the way? Now you gotta love Thomas. He's that kid in the class that would ask the stupid question you wanted to ask but didn't want to ask. And you were hoping somebody would ask it because you didn't want to look stupid? That was Thomas in the group. He always asked a question that nobody else wanted to ask, but everybody was wondering. And he says, geez, we don't know the way. We don't know. We don't have smartphones. We don't have Google Maps. We don't, we don't, we're not even old school. We don't have Thompson's Maps or anything. We don't know. Sometimes you don't know, right? Do you ever feel like this? You're trying to figure out what you're going to do in life? I can't go forward. I can't go backwards. I can't go left. I can't go right. I don't know what to do. And I can't stay here because people are honking at me. Too many people live like this. What does the world need? What does our world need? Superheroes? Do you ever wonder why we have so many superhero movies? 
Because we know our world's being destroyed. And we know we need a savior. So we make up ones. But the problem is we also know how we are. Every one of those has a dad issue. Every one of them does. Every one of them has some kind of a challenge, emotional challenge or anger problems or something. They all need therapy. So I appreciate them, but they're not going to save us. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. He's the way. And this is what you've got to understand. You know that. He's the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. We have the answer. We have the solution. It's like somebody, somebody went to a preacher and said, with all these problems in the world, why doesn't God do something? And the preacher said, he did. He sent you. So what are you doing? He gave you the answers. He gave you the solutions. He gave you the path out of darkness. He gave you the path out of slavery. He gave you the path to freedom, to victory. So the question is, are you using it? And are you telling anybody else about it? People are keep asking us, why did, you, why, did, why did you make the switch? Why are you going back in the ministry? Why don't you just say, I love hope. And I love what we're doing. And part of what I wanted to do was, we, Michelle and I wanted to help all the churches understand how important it is to be helping the poor. It's part of our Christianity. It's part of what, being, what it means to follow Jesus. But I tell you, as big of a battle as the war on poverty is, there's a bigger one, the spiritual war. It's the biggest battle out there. And Michelle and I are ready to jump into that fight. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. He was always meeting needs. Why? Because when you love somebody, you don't separate out their needs. If your kid is sick and has 102 temperature, you don't say, oh, just go pray about it. You just need to have another quiet time. You'll be fine. You meet the physical need. When your kids are hungry, you don't say, well, I live off the word of God. How about you? No. You got to feed them. You meet the need. That's what love does. So the Bible tells us, keep your mind on Jesus. Keep your heart on Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Why? Because he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. I've been doing this 35 years now. 35? 37. Michelle, 39. God has never lied to me. And I realized that we have to meet the needs of the f those in extreme poverty. But what they need most is God's love. Because what I've learned being with hope is that the worst destruction that poverty puts on people is it makes them feel worthless. It makes them feel they have no value. And they are loved by God. And they are precious to him. And Jesus died for them. And somebody has to tell them that.
They won't figure it out for themselves. Somebody has to share that with them to give them hope. One of my favorite quotes, Martin Luther King said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. And hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. What our world needs is not more haters. There's plenty of haters. There are people who devote their lives to hating. There are people who sacrifice their lives to hate. I just spoke last week in Brooklyn at their 9-11 memorial service. And every year I've been back there, the Manhattan service, the Brock service, to remember what happened when just a handful of men who hated so much, they gave their lives to hate and they destroyed so many more lives. What the world needs is people willing to give their lives for love, willing to be the light in the world, willing to be the light that turns on in darkness and shines on darkness. John says darkness cannot overcome light. John says darkness cannot even understand light. And that's the truth. Darkness has no power of its own. You can't hit another switch and turn on the darkness. All you can do is turn off the light. Because light overcomes darkness always. And you are the light of the world. I got to tell you that little picture below. And please don't take any pictures of it. The young man I met and he's telling me his story. He grew up in another religion that hated Christians. And he was taught to hate them. And he was taught and trained how to make bombs so that he could hurt Christians. And he was sent in as a spy into a hope project. And he went in there with the intention of hurting them. But as he was a volunteer and he was working with the brothers and sisters, he was so impacted by their love that it softened his heart. And he wanted to be like them. And they, they taught him about Jesus he got baptized. He became a Christian. But not just that. Now he works for Hope Worldwide. Well, what about you? Here's some questions. Is God finished with you? Is he all done? Is it time for you to spiritually retire? Have you reached your peak and it's all downhill from here? Is there anything else you think maybe God wants you to do? Does he have any more projects in this world left? Absolutely. And they involve you. Because you're the solution. You have superpowers. <laughs> Love. Mercy. Kindness. Patience. Goodness. Those are superpowers. I'll tell you, people always say, bro, you should have, I'm surprised that you're not still all messed up. People are amazed. And so I'll tell you one powerful thing I had in my life is I had a mom and dad who loved me. We didn't always have a home. We didn't always have food. We didn't even have safety a lot of times. But we had love. 
And love never fails. Anybody can love. You can love. And you can change somebody's life by loving somebody. You can bring a little love and therefore a little light into wherever you go. We sang about it earlier, right? This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine and change the world. It's what our world needs. God has given each one of us our gifts. You have some of them. You may not have all of those, and we worry about having all of them. We ever think, oh, I don't have half those. If you got half of those, wow! I only got four of them. If you have four of them, wow! That's awesome. You can do great things with one of those. I've seen Christians all over the world changing the world, bringing light into disasters, light into poverty, light into broken homes, light into lives destroyed by addiction, by abuse, by violence. You are the light of the world. And I'll tell you why, and I'll close out with this. There's a world full of hatred you choose to love. In a world where people don't forgive each other, you forgive. In a world full of people who judge one another because of the color of their skin, look around you. You choose to love everybody, to accept everybody, to give to everybody. In a world where everybody's trying to get their own and amass their own wealth and build their own little kingdom, you sacrifice. And you keep giving and giving year after year after year. Because in a world that has lost faith, you, even when you've been hurt, have stayed faithful. And you have persevered. And you're here today because of it. Still believing, still pressing on. Therefore, you are the light of the world. In a world divided and ignorant of God, you are united and you know God. And therefore, you are the light of the world. God bless you.